I'm going to share with you about a man named John Newton, who was born in 1725. His mother taught him how to pray. She was a godly mom, but his dad was a rough sailor. His mom died when he was fairly young, at age 11. His dad took John to sail on the sea. He was a sea captain, and uh, he took up the ways of a sailor, which many of you know were not very uh, nice ways. Uh, there's reasons uh, sailors are spoken of being rough people, uh, and he was all of that. He wrote back about this time in his life. He says, I was capable of anything. I had not the least fear of God before my eyes, nor the least sensibility of conscience. That's what he described about himself. And as a young man, he became a sea captain himself, and he went to Africa and took slaves aboard and brought them back to Britain. He did this for a while, and during a very uh, severe storm, he cried out to God for mercy. And this surprised himself because mercy was not a part of his vocabulary, much less seeking out to God, and that became a part of him turning to God in his life where he realized that Jesus had died for him and rose again, and he believed in him and began to follow him in his life. And this John Newton was the same one who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. And this is the testimony of his life, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, and now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And he wrote that, that's his personal testimony, how he saw himself far from God, not caring about him, very uh, a, a sinful man, and God in his grace drew him to himself and saved him. And he later began, uh, and later on in life, a pastor, we'll talk more about him in a little bit. But in John's life, we see God's grace displayed. And that's what we want to see today through the life of Jesus, the amazing grace of Jesus and what he does. We pick up in verse 13, we see that he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. He's around the Sea of Galilee, ministering at this time. And wherever Jesus went, crowds gathered around him. And as they gathered around him, he began to teach them. Remember, that is the heart of his ministry, teaching. And so he's, he's around the Sea of Galilee, and he passes by, verse 14, and he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. He said to him, follow me. So he rose and followed him. So he encounters a man named Levi. He is called in the other Gospels, Matthew. And I think this is the same Matthew who became one of the 12 disciples. But his job right now is a tax collector. I don't know about you, but probably IRS agents aren't your most favorite individuals, especially if they want to contact you about something. Well, in that day, tax collectors had even worse reputation. First of all, let's think about this. Who are they collecting taxes for? The government, which the main government in that time, the world power, was the Roman government. Probably he was working for Herod Antipas, who was a governor, a king over that region, but ultimately he's under the Roman government. And so for any Jew working for the government, collecting taxes, that was like a big shameful thing, much less the... Uh, the tax collectors, whether they're collecting from uh, tradespeople or merchants who are coming along that route, or maybe from the fishermen who are bringing their fish to market, 
what they would do is they would collect extra taxes. So the tax would be, say, $10. They would charge $11, $12, and they would keep the rest. And this was just common practice. That's how they made extra money. And uh, they became rich while taking advantage of the people. And sure, you could object about this, but this is a good way to get a visit from a soldier. So the average person had nothing they could do against the tax collector. And so they were those who took advantage of others. They lied and stole from people and became rich themselves. That's who Levi was. And Jesus calls him to come and follow him. And what does he do? He arose and he follows him. Luke 5.28 says, he left all and followed him. He left his job. He left whatever, maybe had a stand, a table, accounting books. He left that all, and he left, and he began to follow Jesus. We see a similar call to Peter and Andrew in uh, chapter 1 and verse 17. Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And so Jesus is calling like, like those men. He's calling Levi to follow after him. And what this would entail was that he would need to repent and believe in Jesus, that he would need to see God is right and, and holy and righteous, and I am sinful, I fall short, and, and I need to turn from my sins and trust Christ alone as my Savior. All of this was new, and he would learn and grow in that, but he had to have this willingness to turn from whatever would be wrong in his life, and he does so. There's another example of this in Luke chapter 19, where Jesus also calls another tax collector, Zacchaeus, and he leaves also his tax collecting, and he repays others. Why? Because of the change that Christ had made in his life. And I think it leads to this principle that we can't claim to any, hold on to anything that God calls sin and, and follow Jesus Christ faithfully. We can't be like, I'm going to have this, and you say it's wrong, but I'm going to have it too, and I'm going to follow you. No, that's not how it works. We must turn from that sin to Christ, and, and certainly he works to transform us and cleanse us, but we can't hold on to sin and claim to follow Jesus faithfully. He leaves all and follows after Jesus. Remember John Newton, he was the slave captain, uh, of a captain of a slave ship, you know, after he turned to Christ, he continued to work as a slave trader for more than six years. Mid-1700s, think of it, slavery was just part of the culture. I'm not saying that that was right and all, but it was just what people did. I think it was interesting that he began to treat the people, the slaves, more humanely. Health considerations ultimately led him to give up sailing and, but later on in life, he looked back and he regretted ever being a part of that. And he preached sermons against slavery later on, worked to, to put in uh, laws to effect of, of overthrowing that. And I bring that up to, see, to say this. Sometimes as we live, we might not understand all the ins and outs of what it looks like to follow Jesus. We might not understand that something that we're doing is actually wrong. But if he does bring that to our attention, then we need to turn from that to follow Jesus. We can't still claim to follow him faithfully and hold on to something that he says is wrong for us in our lives. 
Certainly it's a process, and God helps us in that process. But this following Jesus must be on his terms, not our own terms. And for some people, it does mean a job change. But others, it's just a heart and lifestyle change. It says, you're in charge, Lord, and I'm going to follow you and do what you have you want me to do. So Jesus here, his amazing grace, first of all, he called Levi to follow him. Second, he ate with tax collectors and sinners. We see this in verse 15, that he is having a meal with Levi and other tax collectors and sinners. Uh, Verse 15, as he was dining in Levi's house, and many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, and there were many, and they followed him. They were dining with him. Uh, Your translation may say they were reclining at the table, and that's, I think, a better understanding of that, in that this would be a more formal meal, and they would lie on their sides in a circle or semicircle, and then there would be a table in the center with food on it, uh, and they would lie either on cushions or low couches, and this depicts kind of what that was like. And I think that's helpful to keep in mind, one, that this is a more formal meal, so it's not just sitting down quick and eating. Uh, these other guests were invited. Uh, also, think about the Last Supper. This is how Jesus was eating with his disciples. Uh, and so as Jesus washed their feet, see how their feet are around the outside, a much more natural way than sitting at a table and kneeling down under the table under them. So uh, this is something to keep in mind, thinking about meals. This would be uh, how they would often eat in those settings, and that was the case here. And so as they're, they're reclining at the table, uh, we read that the scribes and the Pharisees were looking in at them and say, for us, we, we, when we have a meal, we are in our homes, we close the door unless we're on a, a, the deck or something. And so it's a pretty private affair. But in that day, it wouldn't be uncommon to have the door open, whether this was in the dining room or maybe in a courtyard, so more people there. And, and other people could come and either go around the outside of the room or they could look in. And But notice the scribes of the Pharisees, they were looking in. They weren't looking in with approval. They're looking in criticizing Jesus. I mean, how, how dare you eat with tax collectors and sinners? To understand these Pharisees a little bit more, we've seen the scribes before, those ones that copied down God's word. And they knew a lot about God's word. They'd be looked to for Bible questions and interpretation. But these were of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were a religious group that was so concerned about obeying God's law that they... they imposed their own laws upon people to make sure people really got close to obeying God's law. I think this picture, this diagram shows it. So in the center is God's law. This is what God has said is good and right. This is what you should do. And uh, say, we're going to encounter them again and again in the Gospel of Mark, say on the Sabbath. Uh, This is what it looks like to keep the Sabbath. The Pharisees, they explained and they interpreted it so that they, they made their interpretations of keeping the law, they made them so important that they became the law. Their laws became more important than God's laws. And we see this as Jesus is willing to to spend time with the tax collectors and sinners, but they're looking in, criticizing him and saying, how dare you do that? You know, in in the synagogue, the Jewish meeting places, tax collectors weren't even allowed really to go in there. And these sinners, it's not like just someone that sinned. Their life is characterized by sin. 
They were known, oh, you do this and this and this. And so these were the people that needed Jesus, but yet they were held at a different distance by the religious leaders. And even now they're criticizing Jesus. Why would you ever go and spend any time with them? But Jesus did so because he wanted them to come to know his forgiveness. I think here's an important clarification. Even as we see Jesus clearly spending time with tax collectors and sinners, some of the the low sinful people in that day that were looked down upon others, uh, Jesus, in, in eating this meal with the tax collectors and sinners, he's doing more than just hanging out with them, like a college student going to a frat party. Jesus was not placing his stamp of approval upon their actions and the things that they were doing, but rather by spending time with them, he was caring for them as people. He was loving them. He was teaching them and calling them to faith and repentance. And that's an important clarification there. So that's what Jesus is doing. Even the religious leaders are saying, how dare he spend time with them? Jesus was spending time, he was teaching them, and they were, I think some of them were learning to believe and follow him. And then we see Jesus is the one who saves sinners. These scribes of the Pharisees spoke to his disciples and asked, why is Jesus doing this? Why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus uses an illustration in verse 17. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Now, we have well checkups now when you go to the doctor. Uh, I don't think that really was a thing in the first century. But when do you go to the doctor? Say, if you're sick. If it's sick that you think you can't get over it by yourself. And that's what he's saying here. People go to a doctor when they realize that they're sick and they need some help. And Jesus, in a way, compares himself to the great physician or calls himself the great physician. Yes, he can heal, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's the one who forgives. But he forgives not just the righteous, but the sinners, the ones who come to him for in repentance. When he calls the people righteous, I don't think he's saying there's a certain category of people that say, well, you're good enough, you don't need forgiveness. Rather, they thought, they were good enough. When in reality, everyone is a sinner. Everyone needs forgiveness. Everyone is sick. We need a doctor. Everyone is a sinner that needs Jesus as our Savior. And Jesus has come, but only those who come to him for salvation benefit from him as the Savior. And so the reality is this, we're all sinners. We've all separated ourselves from God because of our actions. We've sinned against a holy and righteous God. We deserve his judgment. But are you willing to see it? Are you willing to say, yes, I've done what's wrong against God? And more than that, have you come to Jesus for salvation? Placing your faith in him alone as your savior. Because if not, that's a decision you could make today to ask God to come into your life and save you from your sins, believing that he died for you and rose again. This is what Jesus came for, to provide salvation. And here is the amazing truth, that God's grace covers any sin to those who come to him. The tax collectors, 
the sinners, those who were seen as, don't go near them. What was Jesus doing? Forgiving, cleansing their lives. And the same is true for us today. Whoever will come to Jesus Christ for salvation, there is no sin that he will not forgive you of. Nothing that he will not cleanse you from if you come to him for salvation. That's why we rightly describe God's grace as amazing. Jesus displays this, willing to go to those who were pushed aside, seen as big sinners, but yet in his grace, forgiving them as they came and trusted in him. 